Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Today, I know that we are on the brink of Pride Month being over, but you know what? Every month's Pride Month when you love Pride. Uh, <laughs> today, we'd be sipping on a copy that Erica found for us called Two Queens. First of all, the packaging on this everything. brand. Everything. Everything. I'm going to buy the merch. I'm going to buy everything. Mm-hmm. It is so cute. We wanted so badly to buy the celebration blend that they had because 25% of their profits are donated to LGBTQ plus charities like Outright Action International, The Trevor Project, and then Hudson Valley LGBTQ Community Center. So we really wanted to do that, but it is sold out. So we had to improvise and just get some of their regular coffee. So I ordered the Jazz Hands. (laughs) I just can't with these names of these coffees. I'm dying. They're perfect. I ordered Easy Breezy. Like so cute. That's ridiculous. Mine has like chocolate and dried fruit flavors. So that's just right up my alley. And it's a dark roast. So you know, I be loving that. Mine is caramel toasted almonds. You know, (laughs) we love it. We love it. That sounds so good. I'm going to have to order all of them. I ordered it. Okay. So it's really nice because you can order. Um, like any way that you want it. And I ordered it as a cold brew, which is so different for me because I feel like I'm a hot, hot coffee girl, but I feel you like are. a lot of people are not. So I wanted to just try it out, see what you guys love so much about cold brew. I love cold brew personally, but they also, if you're not a coffee girly or not girly, They also have teas and honeys, so if you're more into tea, all of their teas look absolutely amazing. They have one called Afternoon Queen. I'm going to need that because I love a tea in the afternoon. I'm an afternoon tea queen. Same. And I need to stop going to Starbucks every day, so um, if anyone (laughs) has a replacement for my green tea lemonade with strawberry acai base, please tell me because I spend way too much money there. I don't have a replacement for you, but I will out myself that yesterday I went to Starbucks to get coffee at like four in the afternoon. (laughs) Hey, it happens to the best of us. And I got myself a little cake pop too, because I just can't help myself. Have you tried the new um, breakfast sandwich? Which one? It's like they have breaded chicken now. And what? it's like maple chicken and egg or like something like that. I don't know. That sounds really good. Yeah. Nate had it the other day. He said it was really good. I'm just so stuck in my ways of the reduced fat turkey bacon sandwich that I, <laughs> I don't know if I could ever leave it. Before we get into my case, first of all, my case is a little bit shorter today, but it is a very big case that came with a lot of goodies after the fact that it was over. So it brought about a lot of things that we know and use today. But 
Um, I know we haven't talked about this in a really long time and I'm sure you know about it as of late, but the letters from Brian Laundrie were released in the case of Gabby Petito, basically confessing to her murder. Yeah. Um, So it looks like he explains that Gabby fell and injured herself, hit her head, whatever, and was begging him to put her out of her misery. And so he did it to help her. Um, Obviously, we can't really say if this is true or not. So personally, I've read multiple things as of it coming out. And he ended up killing himself because he just couldn't live in a world without Gabby, apparently. Um, But experts are pretty much saying that this all looks incredibly fabricated. Um, So we're just kind of waiting to see what comes out about it. He mentions that he wanted to rid himself in that forest because he wanted animals to rip him into pieces because he didn't deserve to live anymore after what he did to her. So it just seems like there's a lot more. Yeah. It just seems like there was a lot more guilt than there should have been if it was, if he killed her to help her, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there was one part towards the end where he just like painted himself as a victim. He was like, um, I don't remember what he said, but I was reading it and I was like, I don't feel bad for you or your parents for that matter. No. Yeah. There was eight pages of handwritten confession. So I urge everybody, if that's something that you're still really interested in, um, go read it personally. It's hard for me to believe what he wrote, but that is just my personal preference and beliefs. Um, But yeah, just wanted to update you guys that that confession has been released if you want to read it. I also did just want to say we've been getting a lot of really positive feedback about our recent episodes with athletes. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody um, who's been listening and has reached out to us commenting Um, We really appreciate it. The feedback has been so great and so helpful, and we're really glad that you guys are enjoying it. Um, And, you know, if you guys have any cases that you want us to do, we would be happy to do them. We want to keep giving you guys what you want. Um, I had a few recommendations over the weekend at Nate's Hockey Tournament, so we'll definitely be looking into some of those. Ooh, love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that it has helped us kind of branch out a little bit more. I know that our audience is mostly skewed towards women and those cases, at least for like friends of mine um, that are men that don't typically listen to our podcast did kind of pique their interest and get them kind of dipping their toes in the true crime world. So very happy about that. And hello to anybody who's new. We're glad to have you. Welcome to the podcast. All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm excited to hear your case. So today's case is about Catherine, a.k.a. Kitty Genovese. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I Googled it. (laughs) And apparently Erica does know about this case, correct? Yes. Okay. If anybody that 
majored in psych or took a psych course, this case is ingrained in your brain, I'm sure. Sociology, yes, especially. You were sociology, so I'm sure you guys talked about this maybe even more than psych because of the group component. Yes, we sure did. Uh, that's what made me think about it. Catherine Susan Kitty Genovese was born in Brooklyn, New York on July 7th, 1935 to Italian-American parents Vincent and Rachel Genovese. The oldest of five, Kitty and her siblings were raised in a four-family row house in Park Slope, which is a neighborhood known for housing a lot of Italian and Irish families. She was a graduate of Prospect Heights High School, which is an all-girls school, where she thrived in her English and music classes and was elected class cut-up, which I don't know what that means, mm. but that was her. That was She was elected it. Um, I'm Googling it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the opposite of a class clown. Oh, so she oh, was wait. like. No, I think it is a class clown. So she was class clown. She was a prankster, basically, this says. Oh, okay. okay. Not what I expected. No, that is not what I expected. So silly girl. Her graduating class was 712 students, all girls again. She was always known for being talkative and energetic, and she was very popular in school. Following her graduation in 1953, Kitty's mother witnessed a murder on the street, like their street where their house was. So they decided that they were going to move to New Canaan, Connecticut. Kitty, however, remained in New York City. She decided she was going to stay with her grandparents because she was preparing to marry a man named Rocco Anthony Fazolare, which is the most Italian name I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so Rocco was an army officer and an engineer. He dated Kitty while he was in college and she was in high school. And although, oh, just kidding. And although the couple did get married on October 31st, 1954, they got their marriage annulled very soon after that. And they divorced in 1956. She was working as a secretary at an insurance company. She did not really care for the insurance company job and ultimately got fired from the job anyway because in August of 1961, she was arrested for basically being a bookie. It's She was bookmaking. So she was taking bets on horse races from bar patrons and she was fined $50 and lost her job. So then she had to find a new job, obviously. She found a job at Ev's 11th Hour Bar in Hollis, Queens. She eventually became the manager, kind of filling in for the owner because the owner wasn't there a lot of the time. She was saving up money to fulfill her lifelong dream of opening her own Italian restaurant. A decade later, on March 13, 1963, Kitty met her girlfriend, Mary Ann Zilonko, in Greenwich Village, at a nightclub. The two of them found a second floor apartment together in Kew Gardens in Queens, which was considered to be a pretty peaceful, safe area to live. Seeing as the neighborhood was 
considered peaceful and safe, what comes next is nothing short of terrible. Kitty was returning home from work at around 2.30 a.m. on March 13th, 1964. This is exactly one year after meeting her girlfriend. So she was really excited to celebrate their anniversary when she was approached by a man with a knife. Kitty ran toward her apartment building. The man grabbed her and stabbed her while she screamed. It was about three in the morning at this point. So obviously there's not really anything going on. The pharmacy, the coffee house, they're all closed and most people were asleep. However, Robert Moser, one of Kitty's neighbors, woke up and saw that some woman was struggling downstairs and just called out the window, leave that girl alone. Like that's really going to help anything. Kitty was pretty seriously injured. She ended up crawling into the apartment building, kind of towards the back of it, so that she was out of view from anybody. Ten minutes later, the guy who attacked her actually came back, stabbed her again, raped her, and stole her money. Apparently, she was stabbed about 13 times. She was actually found by a neighbor named Sophia Farrar, who ended up screaming for somebody to call the police. The police arrived several minutes later, and Kitty died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. It was about 4 a.m. when the police knocked on the apartment door and informed her girlfriend about the stabbing and Kitty's death. It wasn't until about 7 a.m. that Detective Mitchell Sang arrived to question the girlfriend. There was somebody named Carl Ross in the apartment with Kitty's girlfriend, just kind of being there for her, consoling her. They were drinking some alcohol to, you know, cope with the pain. Uh, Detective Mitchell Sang found Carl Ross, which is the neighbor, kind of being intrusive to the questioning that was going on. And he decided to arrest him for disorderly conduct. Detective Sang also knew that Kitty's body was discovered laying at the bottom of the stairs leading to Carl Ross's apartment. So he thought Carl Ross, the neighbor, was probably the killer. Later, homicide detectives John Carroll and Jerry Burns arrived and like really interrogated Kitty's girlfriend basically about their relationship. And then the questioning kind of took a really inappropriate turn. They were focusing on her and Kitty's sex life and just like weird questions. That were not pertinent to the investigation whatsoever. Whatsoever. And they did this for six hours. This poor woman. They ended up making Kitty's girlfriend a suspect after they questioned a bunch of the neighbors. 
everybody just kept talking about their gay lifestyle. And I guess, you know, that automatically means that you're a murderer. Something bad. bad. Yeah. Like what? (laughs) I guess in the 1960s, being gay meant you should be murdered in your building. I mean, yeah, that's literally what people thought. So weird. Later that week, police got a call about a suspect robbery. When police showed up, they found a television in the trunk of the suspect's car. The man's name was Winston Mosley, and he was arrested and taken to the station where he confessed to stealing appliances just all the time. He just (laughs) loved to steal appliances. Mosley drove a white Corvair. Never heard of it. Uh, Did you mean to say Corvette? (laughs) No, Corvair. I mean, it's a Chevrolet Corvair. Is it really? It is. A Chevy I didn't know. Guys, if you're new here, Allison and I worked in automotive. So so we were big. I worked in automotive for seven years. We were big car gals. (laughs) Big car girlies. Anyway, he drove a white Corvair, which we now know is a Chevrolet. And this struck Detective John Tartaglia, who remembered that some witnesses at Kitty's murder had reported seeing a white car. So he mentioned to Winston, mostly, that, you know... There was a white car seen at a murder scene, and he just went silent. So Detective John Tartaglia called in Detectives John Carroll and Mitchell Sang, who had already been working on the case. They noticed scabs on Winston's hands and accused him basically right away of killing <laughs> Kitty. So Winston Mosley replied that he had and confirmed information that only the murderer would know. Basically, Winston Mosley left his poor sleeping wife, two sons, and five German shepherds in South Ozone Park, Queens, at around 1 a.m. to drive around, searching for a victim with a serrated hunting knife. He had almost given up when he... At around 3 a.m., saw Kitty get into a red Fiat. Winston Mosley had spotted Kitty at a traffic light while he sat in his parked car, and then he followed her. He had been driving around Queens looking for a victim, but he just really had no motive. He told the cops he had no motive. He just, I guess that day, wanted to kill somebody with this hunting knife. Later in his interrogations, Winston Mosley confessed to several other rapes and two other murders of Annie Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik. But then randomly, like later on, he claimed that a mobster executed Kitty and he was only the getaway car. So I don't really know where his mind is at because he's confessing to killing Kitty and these other girls. He's just kind of all over that place. Uh, I might be alone here, but not sure if I, I believe him. I don't, <laughs> I don't think this story adds up. <laughs> this rendition of his story. 
So it was actually Winston Mosley's son that stated that he believed that his dad attacked Kitty because she yelled racial slurs at him. (laughs) I don't really know what's going on with this family. He doesn't make sense. His son doesn't make sense. He was found guilty of all three of the murders that he confessed to, and he was sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964. Deserved. Uh, Right? Uh, However, his sentence was later reduced to 20 years to life. Well, after he escaped from Attica prison in 1968, they added added 30 years onto his sentence. And then he was denied parole about 18 times. And then he died in prison on March 28th, 2016. He was 81 years old. He was actually one of New York's longest serving inmates at the time of his death. How long had he been in there for at the time of his death? Oh, boy. Well, he was 81. Let's do some math. Sorry to make you do math this early in the morning. Kind of rude, but I'm, I'm doing it. So he was 81. Guys, rate us five stars because Allison's going above and beyond for this episode. <laughs> so he was 29 when he went in, but he was in there for 52 years. And if that's wrong, somebody don't even call me out. Sometimes life is better when you live just pretending everything is correct. Literally. So there's a lot of controversy that comes with all of the details that came about about this case. How many times can I say about? About? About. So despite the initial records claiming that 38 witnesses were there on the night Kitty was stabbed... Articles and documentaries have since been made to show another side of the story. Specifically, in 2004, an article was written in the New York Times that questioned a lot. And in 2007, there was a study that demonstrated that there was no actual evidence that 38 witnesses observed the murder. In reality, because of the layout of the apartment complex and because there were two separate attacks on Kitty, nobody could have seen the entire sequence of events. And although approximately a dozen individuals heard or saw parts of the attack, many of the individuals assumed that it was just a domestic quarrel or just like a drunken situation. Um, so even though it was a dozen individuals, that's still not 38. It's so crazy because like they didn't ever talk about like in college how that was fabricated. Like I would have never known if I hadn't gone and like done my own research or like looked outside of school. Like I didn't know until after school that that was all just like blown up way out of proportion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it started – because the media immediately released an article that just said like 38 people saw it and did nothing. So I'm not even sure if that was 
real evidence. No, it was like one person posted something and everyone ran with it. Yeah. That's why you always got to look at multiple sources, guys. Facts, y'all. Something else that came about afterwards was the autopsy. Because the initial attack on Kitty, the stabbing punctured one of her lungs. So it was really unlikely that she would have been able to scream at any volume. Mm. Which was like one of the main things about it, that she screamed. He stabbed me. A 2015 documentary called The Witness also revealed that investigators were aware of errors in the initial New York Times article back in 1964. But the author did not want to state that witnesses did not think a murder was happening just because they didn't want to ruin the story. Like, what kind of journalism is happening here? In addition to that documentary, Kitty's story had been the subject of many television episodes, books, and songs. There was um, a Law and Order episode named Remand, and then there was a Law and Order SVU episode named 41 Witnesses. Those were both based on the case, and so was season two, episode one of the Investigation Discovery Channel's A Crime to Remember series. There was also a short story written by Harlan Ellison named The Whimper of Whipped Dogs, There was um, a book named The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote that one book about like 10,000 hours. If you practice something for 10,000 hours, you'll be good at it and make money. Um, I know that he wrote Talking to Strangers, but I don't know anything else from him. Hold on. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. He wrote Outliers, though. It is outliers. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Sorry, ignore me. The quote is in that book. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. not a quote. It's like literally a chapter. Oh, it's like a whole freaking chapter. Yeah. Anyway, he wrote the book, The Tipping Point. And then Ryan David Johns wrote the novel Good Neighbors. And that was based on the story as well. It also inspired folk singer Phil Osh. I hope I said that correctly to write a song called Outside of a Small Circle of Friends. And then the singer Ruby Lynn Rayner also wrote a song named Kitty. And then, a lot of stuff here. In 2016, there was a film called 37. They're not even getting, like, the fake number right. <laughs> I know. There was, what was it? SVU said 41. <laughs> This said 37. <laughs> this is this is why um, the information is wrong everywhere. It's everywhere is wrong. Um, and that was released in 2016. So here is why every psychology, sociology go a circle around this case. So Kitty's murder was a big deal. It led to multiple things. One of them being the bystander effect. So the phenomenon called the bystander effect or the Genovese syndrome attempts to explain why someone witnessing a crime would not help the victim. 
So psychologist Bib Latane, I'm probably saying that wrong, and John Darley made their careers studying the bystander effect. And they've shown in clinical experiments that witnesses are less likely to help a crime victim if there are other witnesses. The more witnesses, the less likely any one person will intervene. According to Simply Psychology, they came up with a system on how a bystander processes situations with like a five-step decision-making process before they were intervening in any emergency situation. The five steps are, one, notice that something is wrong. Two, define the situation as an emergency. Three, decide whether they are personally responsible to act. Four, choose how to help. And then five, implement the chosen helping behavior. So that's just like a bit of the bystander effect. There's so much more that goes into it and you can read more about it. But the other thing that was influenced by her death was the birth of 911. So the murder of Kitty is credited as one of the factors that pushed the emergency 911 system into place. After New York City officials joined in a national effort involving officials in other cities, it became the national emergency number in 1968. That was great. And I think it's definitely... Why are my spring rolls sizzling? They should not be doing that. (laughs) I think it's just one of those... Not what am I trying to say? Not like classic cases, but just one of those like must know, like set a precedent type cases. And I'm really glad that you got into kind of what was strewn around in the media because you know people listening today might literally not have known that a lot of the stories around it and you know what you might have learned about it in school was actually not true. Exactly, I didn't know that. You learn something new every day when you listen to Crime on Caffeine. That's right. I know that's right. Um, But thank you guys so much for listening. I know this was a shorter episode, but still all very important goodies. A shorty but a goodie. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you are checking in every Wednesday because we release new episodes every week. And make sure you guys are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, following on Spotify, so you know when those episodes come out and you can listen to them on your commute. And then you can also give us a rating and review (laughs) us, and that would be so amazing. And we just love you guys, and we're happy that you're enjoying because we're enjoying. But we won't keep you any longer, so thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye.